Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. This is Andrea Schwartz with the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast, and tonight I have the pleasure of talking to Jennifer Dages, who is a wife and mother, has a nursing background prior to having a family. She offers a unique and beneficial perspective on a mother's role, a wife's role, in terms of furthering the health of her family. So, welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Good to be here. By way of introduction for people who don't know who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of bring us up to date with the area that you have been focusing on in terms of what I wanted you to share with other people. I'm married 25 years this year. I have four children who range from age 12 up to age 20, and I've homeschooled them all the way through. I have two who are now taking college classes at a local community college and two that I'm still working with, and I live in a small town in Pennsylvania. I used to be a nurse. I guess I still am, but I have not practiced in the medical nursing field for 15 years now. And that would be hard for me to go back. I don't see things quite in the medical model that I was trained in. It's still very valuable to me because it helps me to understand how the human body works and how disease works and that kind of thing. But I've I've gotten much, much more interested in nutrition in the years raising my family. And that's really not an emphasis in our medical education for nurses or doctors I suppose it is if you're a nutritionist, but I didn't train that way. So that's probably been the biggest area that I've grown in over the years raising my family is nutrition. Why do you think it is that medical schools and nursing schools devote such little time to nutrition? One thing is there isn't a lot of money in it. (laughs) There is in terms of getting people to learn how to do it right, but in terms of selling products... It's not the same as selling a medicine. So I think that's, unfortunately, the love of money is the root of much evil. So I think that's a part of it. Also, nutrition seems to change. I mean, there was a huge emphasis for 50 years, from the 50s into the early part of this century, on the low-fat diet and how important that was for everybody to be healthy and There's been a lot more research that's come out in the last 10, 15 years that's shown that the whole basis of that low-fat teaching was bad science. It wasn't done right. The government and some of the medical system got a hold of it and then just promoted it and people who tried to stop and say, wait a minute, this isn't good science, were shut down or not listened to, ignored maybe sometimes. Even so, I think that kind of thing, because it's not taught, and I don't know all the reasons why not, there wasn't 
nearly as many health practitioners who are questioning it. Well, I have, as a result of some reading, a couple of ideas why. Number one, the sugar industry and placing sugar in almost every mm -hmm. product needed to have a boogeyman in terms of why people might get fat. So whether or not they latched on the bad science or financed the bad science, the fact remains, if you look at a lot of the ads from the 50s and 60s, and let's face it, with television, where there's now going to be marketing that takes place in order to keep a particular show or shows on the air, what people promoted and what people saw on their screens was the sort of thing that said, I want to do that too. A great case in point that didn't necessarily have to do with food had to do with cigarettes. I can remember watching Perry Mason. Everybody, everybody smoked on Perry Mason. Yes. And they lit up their cigarette. And, and it was something that was deemed fashionable. The same way with everybody coming home at night and going to the bar and pouring a drink. That never happened in my house. But I wonder how many people thought that's what should happen, that when you come home after a long day, you just have to pour a drink. And everybody had a nice bar in their living room or something like that. So a lot of it was what people were being promoted to. And then at the point at which people were getting heavy, because, which I hope you go into the whole idea of insulin resistance being the precursor yeah. to diabetes, that there is a whole new market for weight loss. There's a whole new market for drugs that help right. with obesity. Right. So would you say, without being a conspiracy theorist, that there is at least a correlation between those two things? I think so. I mean, there's not, like I said, there's not a lot of money in being healthy. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of money in giving people drugs and programs and stuff to kind of get healthy, but a lot of times it's only addressing symptoms and it's not really addressing the root problems. Okay, so you and I both are Christians, and we are oriented in the, the perspective that God's word speaks to every area of life. So do you think that the Bible has a lot to say on the subject of health? Sure. I mean, obviously, one really big one that, that orients what I do is that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we have a certain responsibility to work at being healthy and to learning and educating ourselves. I have a website at Purposeful Nutrition, and my kind of tagline is doing all that we do for the glory of God, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. So those kind of two motivational things guide certainly what I do and how I think. So let me just say this. You pointed out that over the past 50, 70 years, there have been dramatic shifts in what is deemed healthy in terms of what you put into your body. But don't you think it might be helpful for us to define what health really is so that then people can say, okay, if this is what health is, then what are the tools I should use to evaluate whether something is healthy or not? Yeah, that's a, that's a great starting point. And I suppose the most commonly people think being healthy is that they feel good and they can do the things that they want to do. And I think that is a component of health. 
I mean, I think one of the things that concerns me a lot in the Christian world is that when you go to church dinners, when you do that kind of thing, there's people overeat and people don't stop to think about the implications of sugary foods, just of a lot of things that they're eating. Christians tend to be concerned about alcohol and cigarettes now, but they're not so much concerned about, or maybe they are, but they're still, hasn't caught up to church potlucks. <laughs> right, right. And, and I see so many Christians who aren't able to really serve the Lord with their gifts because they feel awful. They have no energy. They're plagued with anxiety, which I think has a physical component, biochemical component in many situations. It's not the only factor, but it, it, it's part of it. Or they're diabetic. They've got heart disease. They're so large that they can't get around. If we are sick and have to spend all of our time trying to move and trying to feel better, we aren't really able to serve the Lord very much. I'm not trying to make someone feel bad, but often we can do something about how we feel and our energy levels. If you've had years of bad teaching and bad habits, you're not going to reverse those in a couple of, in a couple of months. But there's a lot that we can do to feel better and to, to be able to function well and to serve the Lord. I mean, I think one thing that I am very interested in because of some things in my own family has been gut health. And I've seen the connection between gut health and anxiety and depression and things like that. And I sometimes think about the marriages that I know of where one spouse has almost gotten crazy, so to speak. And you think if there could have been some physical intervention as well as some of the other things, maybe maybe there could have been some changes and maybe that marriage would have been saved. I don't think it's a stretch to say that because we have to come up with a really good way to say, why are things falling apart? Well, you sort of touched on it when you said, if we're not doing all that we do, whether we eat, whether we drink or whatever we do to the glory of God, it must mean that we're doing it for another reason. Or we haven't defined what the glory of God even means. Yes, yes. So when you were talking about church potlucks and whatnot, I have often made the joke that in many churches, if somebody's born, we have a cake. If somebody graduates, we have a cake. If somebody is ordained, we have a cake. If somebody's baptized, we have a cake. If somebody dies and we have a memorial service, there's a cake. So we're always eating a cake, it seems, and there might be other things as well. But one of the sins that the Bible outlines is gluttony. Yes. And somehow or other, there are other sins that people will find much more offensive, but gluttony seems to be the acceptable sin. Right. And because you can't exactly define it, well, any sin from a theonomic point of view is anything which doesn't do what God says you should or omit something that you should do. And so if we don't have as our starting point, is what I'm about to eat, is what I'm about to do an activity, either not getting enough sleep or 
doing something reckless or dangerous that could hurt ourselves for no purposeful reason, if we don't evaluate that in terms of does this please God or not, we're pretty much going on our own. Right. But I wouldn't say health is best defined on how you feel because I happen to know that things like cancer and heart disease may take decades yes. to develop yes. to the point of being obvious. And diabetes too. So if we look at the word disease, dis, meaning against ease, in other words, anything that prevents us from having our bodies operate the way they were designed to operate. So the real question is, how did God design our bodies to operate? Well, if you go back to the garden, Adam and Eve were created perfectly, and look how long they lived. I mean, hundreds of years, and we are very far from that because a lot of things have broken down over the generations. I'm under no illusion that if we do things God's way that we're going to live to be 900 years. <laughs> but I do think we can live, many of us, God will give a, a longer life with a better quality if we've also submitted that area of our health and how we eat and how we care for our body to him. I don't think disease is necessarily always the result of sin, but I think there are many things we can do that can make a difference. I would clarify and say disease is always the result of sin, not necessarily the result of an individual sin. sin. Okay, yes, correct. Right. Because obviously when Adam and Eve transgressed, that's when death entered the world and disease would be part of that which leads up to it right but in terms of why we were created god didn't create us so that we would have a happy day we might have happy days as a result of living according to god's word but even jesus said you're going to have to pick up your cross daily right. and follow him yes so if we're looking at how to serve god my point of view is it will be much more seamless for me to serve God if I can walk without having my joints hurt, if I am in a position to interact with other people and move around without being short of breath. Right. And I think too often we've written off a lot of disease and maladies to I'm just getting old, which of course is promoted. Well, you're just getting right. old. This is what right. happens with age. You just pointed out. Our forebears lived hundreds of years, and now if somebody makes it to 100, it's considered remarkable. Yes. So having a purpose to be healthy and to be free from encumbrances is a good thing. However, sometimes we actually do inherit tendencies and problems, but even that can go back to if you don't do things God's way, that what you end up with is sometimes passing along things generationally. So if we inherited things generationally, we're in a position with some changes in our habits to create new generational patterns. Yes, there's a kind of something that's become more popular in, in the health world in the last years is talking about epigenetics, which is taking which is looking at your genetics and the environmental influence and realizing that you aren't 
necessarily bound to your genetics. You can do things about the genetics that you've been given. I think that is very hopeful because it's very easy to say, well, my parents had this or that. And yes, it is part of what we, what we are given, but we have some choices in what we do with those things and, you know, how, how things will work out. So that actually gives me a lot of hope. And I might, actually, I have very healthy parents. They're both in their 80s and still going pretty strong. But again, they've made very good choices about their health over most of their years. And that has paid off. And they've also honored their own parents. And that's one of the things that God says, that those who honor their father and mother, he will bless with a long life in the land, right? So I think there's uh, something to that, too, in their lives. So the craze at one point was lots of carbs, no fat. Now in cutting edge, there's good fats and limit your carbs. To somebody listening, they can say, okay, well, this is just the latest craze. In 10 more years, there's going to be something different. How do you recommend somebody actually approach the topic to determine whether Jennifer is someone who should be listened to or Andrea is someone who should be listened to or my doctor should be someone who's listened to? How does somebody go about making those correct judgments? Well, I think one thing that is for all of us is God created foods in a certain form. He created vegetables. He created fruits. He created meats to be raised in a certain way. And I think the closer we get to the whole unprocessed foods of God's creation, the better off we are. And I think that applies to everybody. Then... After that, I think we need to understand some of what we are dealing with. In my health, in my husband's health, we both have some family members of our ancestors who had diabetes. And both of us, we realized a couple of years ago, were facing beginnings of diabetes, pre-diabetes, from some testing that we had done. And so we've made appropriate changes for us. It's an insulin resistance thing that's growing as we get older, and we've made changes to lower carbohydrates and increase fats, which has made a difference in the insulin resistance in our lives. Not everybody has insulin resistance. For some people, they may need to really not eat a lot of meat, and maybe they can have a fair amount of whole grains and some of the more starchy vegetables and do really fine on it. So I think there's a couple of things. There's there's knowing what issues you are dealing with in your own health, and then there's just the fact that the different people are different. So not there's not a one-size diet for everybody. And I think since most of us went through some kind of education, whether we went to a day school or whether we were homeschooled, like you did with your family and I did with mine, Part of an education is to understand the world God placed you in. So if you go through an understanding of biology and you get rid of all the noise that is going to have, you think that you evolved out of green oozy slime or something like that, that we say in the beginning God created and he looked at man, he said he was good. And so his creation was good. So once we understand the framework that says things are not good now because man transgressed, 
but we're redeemed in Christ, which means that we can then, governed by the Holy Spirit, be in a position to understand right choices and wrong choices. So continuing one's education past the point you get the high school diploma or the college diploma, especially for women who run households, it's vital because you're going to have to understand what's going on with your family. Is this a true serious illness that means we better do something immediately? Or is this something that if we let it take its course, it will eventually work itself out? Is this particular medication that's being recommended for my child or a particular vaccination, what is in it? What's the data on whether or not it's really fine? Because somebody will tell you it's really fine, but is it because you like your doctor's smile or because your insurance covers this doctor? The real question is how to do what's right. So it takes a lot of time and effort. And you can be bombarded in terms of the internet. You can be bombarded with information and some of it isn't good. And it can be very difficult to figure out how to discern through. And I think that is where... As we learn, as we try things, some things will become clear that this isn't a good route to go. But I also think there can be a lot of support in the Christian community to work things out together with this. Especially as a woman with a family, look, you know, look at other women who are further ahead who seem to have pretty healthy families. Well, what are they doing? There's a lot of times we can we can really learn from one another and kind of figure out people who seem to be thriving and doing well in their physical health, well, what are they doing? Who are they getting their information from? Who are some trusted sources? That kind of thing can all be helpful. That's one of the things I hear a lot from people is it's so overwhelming. How do you figure it out? How do you figure out where to start and who do you, who do you trust? And that is a really hard question. But here's the thing. Yes, there's a lot of bad information out there, but there's also a way to get a lot of information. So when you research something, if you find that you're getting a many-faceted point of view that you, you, you read this thing here and you say, that makes sense to me, but this other part that this person is saying doesn't make sense. And now the fact that people disagree with each other is actually a good thing. Yes. Because that puts the responsibility back on you. So instead of just throwing our hands up and say, there's no way to know this, the Bible tells us that we can ask for wisdom. That's a great point, Andrea, because I, I can't tell you how many prayers I have prayed for wisdom with my family's health, and I have seen Godly lead me time after time after time. He really answers that prayer. <laughs> And the point that's important here is that, as you said, not everybody has the same issues. Not everybody is going to necessarily find the best remedy that what worked for me might not work for you. But if we're committed to serving God and we're committed to obedience and we're willing to say, I may have to change some of my preconceived notions or my favorite things, and then once we're willing to do that and say, God, show me what I should do, then, like you said, doors open up and suddenly you're getting answers or you have the right practitioner or you find a nutritionist 
who then becomes somebody who can truly help you. Right. But the right. responsibility is on you, not on them. Yes, and that is, I think, one really big thing that I think it's still hard for Americans, is, or at least the previous generation, because people were taught to completely trust their doctor and just do whatever their doctor told them to do. And I really believe that my health and my family's health is my responsibility. And the doctor is someone who can serve us, but God's given that responsibility to each one of us for our own health. And as, and, and me in particular as a mother and someone who's in charge of the food and my kitchen to especially, and to train my children in how to care for their own health. I think that's changing some in the younger generation to being more willing to take responsibility for their own health, but there's still not enough. And it's like God's given it to us for, for ourselves. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. So I think rather than focusing on geometry and trigonometry and all these pre-calculus, for some people and some professions, those things are really important. But why aren't we really teaching nutrition and teaching it not from the point of view as it's a fixed body of laws and no one is allowed to entertain something different to let people know that they may, in their own research, come up with something that will benefit for others. We don't have to decide that the medical field is the one who tells us what to do. I mean, when I call a plumber in, if I'm having a problem, I say, what do you think should happen? And he says, it should be this. And I say, well, you know, I'm gonna, I don't think I'll do it that way. He doesn't then say, well, we're going to pass a law that says you have to do it my way. We've allowed our thinking in health to be handed over to a status mindset that says people who sit in the halls of legislatures know better than we what's right for our family. Right. So a biblical perspective on the important things of life, like the role of the family, the authority of the family, the limitations of the church, the limitations of the state, areas where the state and church should not be involved because their family responsibilities from that orientation point, I think we're all going to be able to discern better whether or not a particular health protocol is something advantageous or not. Yeah. Another thing I think that can happen, I thought about this earlier when you were talking is we can go the other way too, where it can be such an obsession to understand and be in charge of our health and feel good and be able to do whatever we want, that it can become an idol. And I've seen that happen with people too. God calls us to be faithful and to make, I think, good choices to, to the degree that he's given us understanding and that we're seeking his wisdom. But sometimes you can have a situation where you are making wonderful choices and you still aren't that healthy or you still don't feel that good and you don't have that much energy because of some of the of the things that have happened to you. Someone could have an accident and be left with things like with, with some real debilitations. And so I do think it's really important as well as, as being diligent 
to learn and to research and to make choices that honor God is to remember that we also have to submit our health to him. And it's his choice what, how things work out. Some people die young, even when they didn't necessarily do the wrong things. I would say the emphasis here is not on blaming people and saying, oh, you're sick because you did wrong things. That's, that's too easy to then dismiss. A better orientation is that there's information out there that can help you be in a position to not only improve your situation, and maybe you can improve it just a little, like you mentioned somebody right. was in right. an accident. Well, accidents and surgeries produce inflammation, and inflammation can cause issues. Well, if you could mitigate that and make it less so that you were more able to function, because good health isn't an end to itself. Exactly. The scripture is, there's a lot of stories when the man who was born blind, why was he blind? The question Jesus was asked was, well, was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus' answer is, neither one. It was so that God would be glorified. Right. Well, sometimes, I was that earlier. Sometimes people come up with a cure for something, and God is glorified because understanding how the body works and being able to deal with that specific area sometimes produces a protocol that's very helpful. But even in the case of Job, Job didn't have a whole lot of understanding why his body was falling apart, why he was in such pain, why he was in such agony. And the lesson of Job, of course, is in the midst of really difficult health issues, which we'd have to say he had, he never cursed God. He never expected that he was entitled to anything. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, after all, none of us are getting out of here alive. Well, exactly. Give me the name of your website again. It's called PurposefulNutrition.com. Okay, and I'm assuming that not only do you have blog pieces and recipes and things like that, do you have a reading list? that you suggest people explore so that they can be grounded in an orientation of health? I've never done a post of, of books that I recommend in terms of a reading list. That'd be a great idea. Um, right. I might just work on that. <laughs> right. Cause I'm just sitting in front of one of my bookshelves. So I have a lot of them in my house and I have two shelves devoted to, books that either I've picked up or they've been recommended and whatever. And what I do is I don't treat them as if they're Bibles. God's word is an infallible word. These other books aren't infallible. One of the things I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed, a lot of the health books have usually about 500 to 1,000 words that somewhere in Disperse talks about billions of years and our primordial yes, ancestors. Yeah. And I've often wondered, and maybe you can comment on this, do you think they have to put that in their book in order to get published? Because it usually has absolutely nothing to do with their thesis. Well, probably the publishing companies would put it in. A lot of them, they do somehow believe it. I mean, one of the doctors who's been most helpful to me in the whole insulin resistance area, Dr. Jason Fung, I love his books, but you do have to navigate through evolution, and it's a little frustrating, because I'm thinking, really, do you have to have this in here? It doesn't 
it's not true. I don't agree with it. And yet you have so much good to say. So there's a lot of sifting that has to happen. And that's why the person who's doing the sifting, which by and large should be the woman of the house and encourage health and nutrition as being something that she's really seeing that her children learn, is that we examine presuppositions and then get other people's conclusions and then evaluate them ourselves. Yes. Like, for example, my family observes the biblical dietary laws. So we don't eat pork and we don't eat shellfish. So when I go to a health book, and I realize not everybody agrees with that or interprets scripture that way, but we do. When I go to a book and they suggest that what I do is eat oysters or eat pork, or there are supplements that contain porcine elements, mm -hmm. I don't, in other words, because there's something else that governs me on that, I take what I've learned from this person, but I don't follow all the instructions right. given. Right. And this is where personal responsibility comes in. Yep, yep, for sure. What's your take on some of the alternative things that are coming into their own now? Nutraceuticals, essential oils, different therapies like oxygen therapy and things like that. Do you have opinions on all that? On some of them. I mean, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a, definitely a value to like essential oils. Do they cure everything? No. That's the thing. None of these things are going to be the magic bullet for everything. But there are things that can be, can be learned about and studied and then incorporated into our own lives. So essential oils, homeopathy, I use both of those. But I, it's not the only things I use. Some things like oxygen therapy, I don't know a lot about. They, it seems very promising. Yeah, there's a lot of new things coming up, and I think they're worth looking into. Some of them may be, in the end, kind of not worth the money and the time. And that's the other thing we always have to consider is all of us have limited money, some more than others, and a lot of these things, they will cost us something, and we've got to weigh that. You can spend thousands of dollars on supplements in a year, Maybe you just get expensive urine. I don't know. That's what some people say. I do see value to some things, but you have to weigh it and you have to make choices. And again, if income's really limited, which it is for most families in America, that means sometimes we won't be able to buy the things that we all that we want. But I, this is again, we're praying for wisdom and it's like, okay, God, what do I do? Why? Maybe I don't buy those things. Maybe there's some other directions I can go with nutrition that will get me what would be in the supplements. So it keeps coming back to that praying for wisdom piece. And also, it's important to realize that when people say, well, you should eat organic foods. Well, the reason you should eat organic foods isn't because it's fashionable. It's because pesticides and in the soil and, and actually on the, the food itself can have negative effects in your body. Right. So you might say, well, okay, so why would you want grass-fed beef as opposed to regular beef? Well, if certain carbohydrates are bad for you in large numbers, and that's what the cattle is being fed, and now you're eating that beef, and now you have 
not only the carbohydrates you're consuming, but that the animal has eaten, you're going to overload your body in a way that won't be helpful. So what people don't realize is when you buy whole foods, and I don't mean from whole foods, if anybody has a whole foods, I mean whole foods that aren't processed, that aren't packaged, that don't have a lot of money that you're spending because of that bright, shiny packaging that's supposed to make you take it off the shelf. If most of the stuff in your refrigerator, you can identify it and say, oh, that's a tomato. Oh, that's milk. Oh, that's right, um, right. fish, as opposed to all these processed dinners and whatnot that have all these ingredients to keep their shelf life. It actually costs less because you get better nutrition and you don't have to eat as much. Right. My family, since I've had children, we've never had conventional health insurance and we've been part of a Christian health sharing ministry. But it meant we weren't putting a lot of money into health insurance and we also it also wasn't provided for us. But to me, that kind of upped the ante to be being willing to spend some money on healthy food and some supplements. I'm putting our money towards prevention, not towards treating the problem after it's happened. And so in a way, that's been a blessing, even though sometimes it's been tighter because we didn't have health insurance provided for us. But health insurance doesn't make people healthy. It's simply a safety blanket for when something happens. Right. So your insurance really came from becoming educated, applying what right. you learned, right. and disciplining yourself in terms of making do with what you have. Right. So before we close, there's something I'd like you to explain to people in terms of the benefits of fasting and how fasting, which doesn't cost anything, <laughs> how it no, can it help somebody achieve greater and better health. I've gotten really interested in intermittent fasting in the last year and a half. I lost 40 pounds with it and, and broke insulin resistance in my life. And it also helped with my husband significantly. I love fasting because it's simple. It's not always easy, but it's simple. It's, it's free because you're not buying food during that time. And it is for many, many Americans, there is a, big, big problem with insulin resistance, which leads to diabetes. When you fast, it brings your insulin levels down, and then that brings your blood sugar levels down. And it, it is possible to certainly prevent and even reverse diabetes with, uh, with some consistent fasting. And I'm talking about fasting of 24 hours or less. I'm not necessarily talking about people fasting for days and days. Some people do, and that can be very effective too. But that, that isn't actually something I practice. I, I tend to do, I have several days a week that I try to fast somewhere between 18 and 24 hours. And I think one of the things about fasting too is it's very freeing. It's a way to help keep food submitted to the Lord because you realize you don't have to eat three meals a day. And there may be some people who get low blood sugar very easily. And for those people, I'm not necessarily advocating that you start fasting. There's some things to figure out with that. I think that's one of the things that I like the most about fasting is it just kind of puts food in its proper place. You eat to live. You don't live to eat. 
and it kind of reminds me of that on a regular basis because it's so easy to get caught up in it. But it's uh, it, it is it's a very powerful tool against insulin resistance. This is something that people should look up. You, you know, go online, go to Google, and intermittent fasting cancer, intermittent fasting and diabetes, is, and yeah. see what what comes up. And like I said, you might have ten different opinions, but you'll at least begin to get an understanding of the terrain. Yes. But you know, we call the first meal of the day breakfast because you're breaking your fast. So somehow or other, people understood that you weren't supposed to eat twenty four seven. Right. And probably with the advent of refrigeration and electricity and entertainment capabilities well into when it gets dark, people started eating so much either through boredom or just having something to do while they were doing these other things. And so some people say, I, there's no way I could fast for 12 hours. Well, if you wake up in the morning at 7 and you finish eating seven the night before, you've just had a 12-hour fast. Right. If you stop eating at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and you don't eat again till 10, you've had a longer fast. And it's amazing to me when I do this to realize how much less food I consume but boy, oh boy, do I want good food to consume when I am going to eat. I'm not going to waste it on something that doesn't make me feel good and has all this bad stuff in it. It also helps you to enjoy the food. Food is a gift from God. And we are to enjoy his blessing that he has provided for us. And I find it's much, I'm much more appreciative when I don't eat every meal. Because when, right. when I do eat the next meal, it's like, oh, good. I really like this. And I can sit here and enjoy this. Because, and I don't have to feel bad about it. God's given it to me. I need to eat. We're not supposed to fast indefinitely. That's, right. you know, we, we are to be eating and, and being grateful for his gifts. The other thing that's really important here is health isn't the same as being skinny or being exactly. thin. The way in which... Hollywood portrays, for example, what a woman's body is supposed to look like. Maybe that's true for a woman who hasn't had any children or a woman who is, isn't past her 30s or 40s. Looking like we are young, being thin so we can be in a particular dress size is such a low priority in terms of really living that yes. whatever the scale says or whatever the dress size is, are you in a position to move around? Are you flexible? Are you, do you have stamina? Do you have energy? Are you always tired? Do you have insomnia? These are things that can be taken care of with proper nutrition. But if you don't want those things, if you just basically say, give me a pill so I could feel better, first of all, it won't work because most pills have side effects anyway, so you'll have a whole new set of problems. But it's not the responsible way to, to live. Right. Jennifer, thank you. I know that people have lots of questions. Is there a way for people who might want to get some questions answered to get a hold of you? Is it through your website? or is Yeah, that's probably the best one. I also have, for women who are interested in fasting, I do have a Facebook group called Intermittent Fasting for Women. and. 
anybody who's on Facebook, any woman who's on Facebook and wants to join that is welcome. I also have a Facebook page for Purposeful Nutrition. So those are other possible ways. There's a lot of content at my website and people can contact me through that. Hopefully we have helped women who might be struggling with aspects of their health or members of their family to have a sense of empowerment that they can become knowledgeable consumers and students so that they may actually find answers. Yes, that's right. Thank you. It's been fun to do this. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast. Holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com 